Poppin' the Christian Bubble. It is now time for the Cultured Christian Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is sponsored by, well, no one, because we're still small. But someday, hopefully, by companies like Apple and Amazon. Tell us about that experience. Like, I, I can't even picture you walking in. You're walking in on the first day to a strip club. Like, come on. What, what was that like? I'll tell you what was weird was there was lots of, obviously, pornography on the walls, you know, pictures. Mm-hmm. And then I would see the girls that the pictures were made of. So many churches are so inward focused. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's about learning information. It's not about transformation. Episode 7 has begun, and you guys are in for a treat today. It is our second full interview episode, and we have a unique and very special lady, Erin Stevens, my friend. And as you could tell from the intro there, she has a very unique ministry story, and I can't wait for you to hear about it. Without further ado, here's my interview with Erin Stevens. All right, guys, I have on the phone Erin Stevens. As I mentioned there in the intro, I'm super excited to have her. Erin is a sweet lady, and she is from the South and lives in the South from the great state of Mississippi, which I do know how to spell. Uh, how you doing today, Erin? <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. That's it awesome. Is, it is sunny and 70 degrees down here, and I'm sitting here in my Halloween pajamas feeling all relaxed and excited about talking to you. That's good. Now we're in the midst of this quarantine. So before we even start, I have to say, how, how are you doing? How are you doing holding up in the midst of this pandemic that we find ourselves in? You're down in the South. It's warmer. You got a pool in that backyard. Are you guys doing okay? I'll tell you what, Kurt, I'm, I work for an oil company now. So since we own gas stations, I'm still going to work every day. Oh, okay. So, not that much has changed for me, except I wear masks to go to the grocery store. Um, but I do have three teenage boys at home that are doing school online, and we have dipped our toe in the pool a few times. So it's nice. It's really a. It's really a. You know, we're making the best of a of a not great situation, but praying for a whole lot of people that, you know, are really struggling during this time. Right. Yeah, it's really a crazy time in so many ways, and uh, here's to hoping that in a few weeks things will, things will be back to normal. Even though they're saying, yeah, things, what is going to be normal on the other side of this? But uh, whatever the case, I'm happy that you're taking the time out of this year Easter weekend to chat with us to be on this episode. And uh, why don't we spend a little time kind of starting things out and just kind of introducing who you are? I mean, obviously, I know who you are and think highly of you, but I kind of want to you know, dip, to use your term of the pool, dip them toes in to Aaron Stevens and get to know you a little bit. So tell us, tell us about your family. You mentioned you have three teenage boys. Let me see if I get the names right. And I promise I'm not, I'm not (laughs) on Facebook. So this is just from memory. Todd's your husband. You got Elijah, Daniel, and Levi. Is that right? That is correct. So you went the total, the total biblical, you married a (laughs) non-biblical name, but you went biblical with the kids' names, right? Oh, listen to this. And Elijah's middle name is Paul. Daniel's middle name is James. And Levi's middle name is Andrew. So I covered the old and the New Testament, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sure, I'm sure God is extremely pleased with that. But yeah, you, you have an awesome house. As you told me before, you are outnumbered because you have so much testosterone and male, whatever in that home. You're the only woman. So is, uh, tell us more about your family. Just give us kind of from your perspective, what's, what's life like with those uh, four men in your house? You know, it's it's always a lot of fun. We've got a trampoline. We've got a zip line. We've got a pool. We've got board games. The boys mm-hmm. are 20, 17, and 14. So okay. I'll tell you what, I'm really digging this age right now. Um, they're self-sufficient. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, do they still leave their underwear all over the house? Of course. <laughs> but for the most part, they can, you know, they can get where they need to go. They can get themselves ready. You know, now, am I still the queen bee? Absolutely. I am the queen bee. But, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have it any other way, Kurt. I love having three boys. And, and maybe awesome. because in some ways they're all mama's boys, which 
you know, I, I really like, but uh, they're, they're just busy doing schoolwork and waiting for school to get out. Of course, everything's online now. Hmm. Um, but my oldest is, is dating for the first time Ooh. and he is, well, yes, he's um, you know, 20 <laughs> years old and never had a girlfriend. So this is a big wow. deal. And she is a Japanese exchange student at his okay. college. That's fun. And it is fun. Um, we enjoy, her name is Risa. She comes to visit every weekend. Uh, she stays at the college during the week mm -hmm. and then comes to visit us. And I'll tell you what's interesting is every weekend we introduce her to something she's never done before. Oh, that's fun. So today we're going to have an egg hunt. She's never hunted eggs before in her wow. life. That's cool. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, and I just have to say, having known you, and I met your kids a few times, you guys do a great job as parents. I mean, even before this pandemic and quarantine, you know, you and Todd are always out doing things with your kids. You're always, that's what I love about Facebook. And I understand there's some level, some people say it might be bragging or whatever, but like you guys do a great job with your kids. You're always smiling. You're always doing something. You're in, it's clear that you're in their world, right? Like you're doing the right. Nerf guns, you're, you're posting out <laughs> Levi made that uh, matchbook car racing thing out of paper. I mean, you're just, you're just in their world. And I think that's such a great thing for parents to be engaged, especially in this season of pandemic. But you guys, again, do a great job with that. Now, tell us a little bit about your history. So where, where were you born? Where were you raised? You know, are you, you, you have a Southern draw. I knew that when I met you, but are you from the South? Like what's your, your origin story, if you will? Yes, Todd and I, my husband and I are both from Nashville, Tennessee, uh, okay. born and born and raised. Uh, so, you know, the Grand Ole Opry, every, everything that you would think of with Music City USA, that was our upbringing. Um, okay. He's from the west side of Nashville and I'm from the east side of Nashville. So we went to two different high schools, but we were born one day apart. So hmm. we um, figured out once we met in college that we had been in several of the same areas and activities in Nashville, you know, growing up and didn't know each other. Interesting. Um, yeah, his mother was giving birth to him in one Nashville hospital while my mother was in labor with me at another Nashville hospital. Look at that. I know, crazy. Crazy. Now, yeah. So, and you spent most of your life in Nashville, right? Like you, you were in Nashville and then you moved to Michigan where I ultimately met you. And then from there you went to Mississippi. Is that the right kind of timeline yes. of places? Yes. We lived in Nashville our whole entire life until 2016. We moved to Michigan where I met you. Okay. And then in the, at the beginning of 2019, we moved down here to Columbus, Mississippi. Okay. Um, which for your listeners, Columbus is best known. It's, it's not a big town. It's a very small town, but it's known for the beginning of uh, Memorial Day or Decoration Day. Hmm. Uh, four women after the Civil War decided to start decorating the graves of soldiers from both the North and the South. And so my, our little town here claims, you know, we started Memorial Day. That's cool. That's a cool. nice, nice little history.com uh, commercial there. I like that. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, we're not, uh, we're not sponsored by those guys, but, um, but no, that, that is a cool, a cool thing. And when you were up here in Michigan, I was thinking as you were sharing that it was kind of not unlike your Japanese exchange student. I remember us, you know, we work, <laughs> you, you work for a, a season at the job that I currently work at. And I remember in our office conversations, there were things about Michigan that I just assumed, oh, you guys have been there, right? You've checked out Mackinac Island and you've been to the, the falls and you've had Verners and you, you know, there, I just remember there being things that I kind of introduced you to that you were like, what? I've never heard of that. It was oh, kind yeah. of, it was kind of fun introducing you to, cause you had only been here like a year or two. Um, and remind, uh, remind us for our listeners sake, again, there's some in our audience who would know uh, Woodside Bible Church, right? That's where Todd was. Your husband was a. Your husband has been consistently a pastor, right? At three churches. Correct. So kinda... Correct. We we started a church in Nashville in 2006. He was the electronic commerce director for Adidas. Uh, we, we both have our MBAs, so he was actually a successful businessman for 12 years before he ever went into ministry. And then we started the church in Nashville. Then we went to Michigan where he was the campus pastor 
of Woodside Bible Church in Farmington Hills, yep. which is where we lived with our family. And now he's the lead pastor uh, at Mount Vernon Church in Columbus, Mississippi. Good old MTV Church. MTV every, Church. <laughs> every time you guys share that, I'm like, MTV. It takes me back yeah. to the, my teen years watching MTV. So that's cool. That's right. Um, that's right. Sweet. So, well, um, let's get to kind of the meat of our discussion, kind of launching into it. So you guys, part of your time in Nashville at uh, Friendship Community Church, you guys wrote a book. And it's a book that our audience, mm, let's be real, probably hasn't heard of, but that's okay, because <laughs> today they're going to hear about it. Um, and the name of the book is How to Pick Up a Stripper and Other Acts of Kindness. And it's one of these co-authored books. It's a husband and wife, Todd and Aaron. And so um, that's kind of what um, we're going to discuss today and kind of the heart of this uh, ministry to strippers that um, you started. And before we dive into that, I just kind of want to do a little aside here that I am actually going to do a giveaway. The first time ever in the history of our podcast, we are giving away a copy of Aaron and Todd's book. And so all you guys need to do to get your copy of this book is to text us. I'll give the number out at the end of the podcast. So there you go. You got to listen to this whole interview. But all you need to do is to text your name uh, to the number at the end of our podcast, and you have till April 30th to do that, and you'll be entered into a contest to get the book for free. And if you're just like me and you're like, you know, screw this uh, prize, I just want to buy the book. You can go to Amazon. I did notice it's still available on Amazon. And those of you who have Kindles, you can download it instantly on your Kindle. Okay, so there's the little, and that's not why she's here, guys. I'm not trying to sell the book. But I thoroughly enjoyed the book. Frankly, I'm going to be honest, I enjoyed the book more than I thought I would because you gave me a copy of the book mm. and I just read it. I was kind of reading it because I wanted to get to know you better. Like that was my heart as I was like, I'm going to work next to this lady. She's sitting in the cube <laughs> next to me. I went into it literally with the heart of like, I want to get to know Todd and Aaron and it'll give me some things to talk about with you. But I left like amazed. Like it is seriously a really good book for Christians, for pastors, because it really kind of takes you on a journey uh, to where churches, I think, should be and where their focus should be. But let's not get ahead of ourselves and let's start talking about this ministry called Nashville. Let's see here, Nashville Strip Church. What right. is that? And tell me kind of how you got involved working with strippers, because I think a lot of people tuning in today, their eyebrows are already kind of lifted up and they're like, wait, what? Aaron worked with strippers? Like, tell me, <laughs> tell me kind of how that started, how you got involved and just give me an overview, you know, to, you know, Nashville Strip Church. Yeah, yeah. I like to say that I'm one of the few pastor's wives that loves to hang out with strip clubs. Mm. Um, I just, uh, back in 2012, uh, the, the, the church that we planted, which had grown from 30 members, gosh, to well over a thousand in just mm. a, a, you know, short, six short years. Um, Kurt, we, we had a desperate need for space because we were meeting in an elementary school. And we were busting at the seams. Our kids uh, were meeting in hallways. Uh, you know, we'd, 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 we'd you know, rope off a, a section of a hallway and then there were 30 second graders or whatever. And so I entered a, a fast, which I had never done before uh, 2012, but I, I saw it done a lot, you know, in the New Testament, especially in Acts. And I thought, you know, let's just do this. And so for 21 days, I fasted. And when I mean I fasted, I fasted hard. Um, a lot of prayer, a lot of Bible study, read a lot of great books, uh, Sun Stand Still, Stephen Furtick, Weird, Craig Rochelle, uh, Crazy Love, Francis Chan. I mean, I, mm. you know, Bob Goff, Love Does. I mean, I inundated myself with the scripture and these Christian books and not eating. I would drink, um, uh, you know, juice or water. And I did eat a, a plain baked potato every night at five o'clock just so I could keep going. Yeah. Um, but I was a stay at home mom and I was begging God for 
a piece of land or a building basically donated because what your viewers don't know about friendship community that that Todd felt led to start after he graduated from seminary was that it was a church to reach unchurched people. And so 85% of our first time guests had not been in any church when they found us. Wow. That's so, great. yeah, when, but when you're reaching that many unchurched people, you know, what, what are there, are, it, it, you know, we baptized 500 people in seven years. I mean, the, the life change was enormous and the stories are mm. so incredible, but one thing that was missing was consistent giving. And so, you know, we struggled financially, which is one reason we were always in a school. Um, number one, because Todd always insisted on having a huge outreach budget, uh, much, much bigger than larger than most churches outreach budgets. So, but also, so did you guys open a strip club to make money? Is that where this is going? No, no, we did not. <laughs> I promise we did not, Kurt. No, no. But I just... As, as, as I went through the fast, my heart started breaking for people far from God, which, again, was why we started the church. But I just felt the Lord impress upon my heart, go feed the strippers. And I, I tell the story that I had a dream uh, that, that there were throngs of people with their face pressed against a large church building, uh, that looking in from the outside. And everybody on the inside was dressed in their finest Easter clothes, talking about the latest Beth Moore Bible study and listening to the children sing cantatas. And I woke up from that dream as mad as a hornet because nobody ever got up and let those throngs of people that were looking in from the outside, wondering what's going on in there. Nobody ever opened a door or window and let in those thousands of people. Mm. and that just spoke to me, and it, it was in that moment that I really felt the Lord say, you know, Aaron, go feed the strippers, and now, Kurt, I was raised by Paul and Mary Jo Martin that to this day, <laughs> I've, I've never seen them smoke, drink, or curse, and they're 70 wow. years old, okay, um, I was a very straight-laced, never rebelled virgin when I got married, no alcohol. I mean, the straight laced as you right. can get. So for Aaron Martin Stevens to walk into a strip club was about as foreign as I can even tell you. Uh, that is not my background whatsoever. Yeah. Tell, tell us about that experience. Like I, I can't even picture you walking in. You're walking <laughs> in on the first day to a strip club. Like, come on. What, what was that like? I'll tell you what was weird was there was lots of obviously pornography on the walls, you know, pictures. Mm -hmm. And then I would see the girls that the pictures were made of. Hmm. Um, now, when I say pornography, it, it was you know not extreme, but, um, but still, I just thought, Nudity. no, wait a second. I just saw you out in the lobby <laughs> in mm. a picture. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there were girls dancing on the stage and, and girls would walk up to me with very little on and it was it was very different um yeah. but you know you I guess you know what Kurt I wasn't okay. I wasn't and I went every two weeks for five almost six years hmm. and was never uncomfortable so so what did you do there so people here are probably like okay Karen you showed up at the strip club are you giving them dollar bills and just sitting there having a drink <laughs> like what ultimately did you start doing with this strip ministry like what, how are you serving these people well I would take them a home-cooked meal from Courtney's which was a meet and three in Mount Juliet where I'm from and I would basically feed them a meal that often they would say this tastes like my grandma's food and as time went on, I would take gifts, um, you know, whether it was fingernail polish or, um, you know, scarves, whatever, blankets, whatever, you know, I could gather. I would collect donations and never had a shortage of gifts for these 25 or 30 women, which every two weeks when I went, they were often different women there because the turnover is relatively high. Mm. So I would just say, you know, I'm coming, showing you God's love with no strings attached in a very practical way. Here's a meal. Here's a gift. I just want to tell you that, that you're valuable to me and you're valuable to God. Mm. And I never had a Bible. I never went in with a gospel track. I just wanted to love them 
as unconditionally as I could. That's great. Yeah. So it, how, it was, how did they, how did they respond? Like, did you, did you have some of them who pushed you away? Do you have some of them, you know, like, tell me, tell me a story. Let's get into, uh, in the book, you talk about specific, you know, women and, and how God right. used you, you know, share us a story or two of how God used you in a particular person's life. Well, I guess probably, you know, Katie is, um, was one of the first women that, um, I, I met and she responded to a very lavish gift of Mary Kay product because she had used Mary Kay for a long time. And, you know, it, it was um, just a, a couple of months later after I met her, well, it was right after I met her at the club, she pretty much, you know, quit. Uh, she started coming to church. Um, she, she ended up accepting Christ, being baptized, leading mm -hmm. a backyard Bible study, a backyard Bible club during VBS. Wait, I mean, she led it. Oh yeah. Katie, Katie led it. Yes. Wow. Yes. That's so cool. Yes. Uh, Mary uh, left the club and, and now still continues to go back to the club as, as you know, it's basically her ministry now. Uh, Lisa left the club and has not gone back um, and had a child that I was there for the birth and actually got to help name him Silas. Mm. Um, I just, uh, the stories are, uh, you know, unbelievable, but I'm yeah. so proud of these women for, for stepping out on faith. And, you know, a lot of my job was saying, okay, if you're going to trust me to help you get out of this, then you're not going to fail on my watch. So that's when I started fundraising and I was able to help them pay rent and childcare and find them other jobs. Um, you know, Katie called me one day and said, I, I don't feel like I'm dressing appropriately. And of course I had already thought that, but I had not mentioned it to her right. um, because, you know, strippers showed up at our church all the time during that wow. time. And, you know, she said, I'm going to have a bonfire and burn my clothes hmm. because my stripper clothes, because I don't want to donate them to, uh, you know, the goodwill because somebody else would use them. Right. Um, I, I also got a, a chance to share with her, you know, Katie, you date a lot of different men she was divorced and had two little girls at home, but she was in the process of dating. And I said, you know, I know this is probably foreign to you, but have you ever thought about not sleeping with your boyfriends? Hmm. And she said, you know, I've never really heard that before, but she took it so seriously. And she said, I trust you, Aaron. And I've seen what God has done in my life thus far. How can I not trust God with this? Wow. And she got a promise ring tattooed on her ring finger so Dang. that she couldn't, so that she couldn't take it off. Wow. Yeah. That's, I mean, it, I mean yeah. Wow. That's, that's crazy. Now, were yeah. you, did you ever feel like this may seem like an odd question, but you know, I watched okay. the show Ozark and, you know, not spoiling anything, but they end up, the couple in the show end up buying a strip club um, right. and there's a lot of connections at least in people's minds of strip clubs with crime and violence and all sorts of like just seedy sort of things did you yeah. ever feel in danger did you ever have like a moment or a, a situation arise where again spiritually or you know physically you were in danger you know I never uh, again, it's probably just because it was my calling and it was so clear from the Lord, but I never felt that way. And I befriended the general manager, John, who now lives mm -hmm. in Florida, uh, okay. to the point that he also came to church some. Um, oh. And and we would I, I would go into his office every time I would come and talk and we would talk about his parents who are aging and have Alzheimer's. And he was going to have surgery and asked if I could come to the hospital with him and bring him home and... <laughs> I mean, I never felt threatened, Kurt, because I loved these people. I mean, yeah. they were my friends and, I, you know, I just felt like God is protecting me and he's called me to do this. And everywhere I turn were open doors everywhere. That's yeah. That's awesome. Now, yeah. did you ever get criticism or judgment from fellow Christians? You know, like I just imagine again, once, once the word's out, you know, this pastor's wife's over at the strip club. Um, <laughs> did I, you, again, your church is outreach focused, but I imagine you, you mentioned your parents, you mentioned, you know, just the church there was, 
was there some criticism and judgment from Christians with you walking into strip clubs on a weekly basis? I think a lot of people at first didn't understand it. But then again, the fact that the church was already six years old and we had built the foundation of our church on showing God's love in practical ways, no strings attached, hmm. that it was honestly, as I like Todd and I will, he'll say the same thing. It was almost a natural extension of our church hmm. because we were already so involved in the community and wearing those orange shirts that said the church has left the building every three weeks you know, um, we, we definitely, what's the every three weeks thing? Tell us about that. We just, um, like I said, I mean, our, our outreach budget, everything we've ever done with any church Todd has ever led has been to reach people where they are as they are. Hmm. Um, you know, we like to say churches for people that aren't here yet. And not that church people aren't important and not that you shouldn't love and take care of the saints. You should. Right. But so many churches are so inward focused. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's about learning information. It's not about transformation. Yeah. And you and I talked about this. I mean, people that are in need, which is the majority of the world, don't really care how many Bible verses you can quote them no. if you don't love them. Yep. And they've and never by, heard of the Dove Awards or any of the Christian, no. you know, Christianese no. and Christian things. I mean, I who think, is Amy Grant? Who is Michael W. Smith? Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't, do you I don't love, care, but right, <laughs> there's a lot right. in the Christian community. That's their insulated world. They only yeah. think of Christian things and watch Christian movies and go to Christian college, Christian, Christian, Christian. And right. they seem to be like you alluded to earlier. They seem to be all right with the world going to hell and people suffering that aren't going to church. Um, mm. I think of the Philip Yancey quote. I forget which book it's in. Philip Yancey, awesome dude. If you guys have never read Philip Yancey's books, check them out. Um, but he talked about one of his books. Um, this quote is the church often looks like a country club instead mm. of what it should look like, which is a hospital. And I think mm. that that for me was such a, a simplistic yet profound statement of what you just said, basically, is churches are often so concerned with the carpet and the pews and the way the person sings and everything within the church is so perfect. And it's this secret handshake, this secret club, right? And the minute someone walks in who doesn't look like them, talk like them, again, watch the same movies as them, plays cards, whatever, you know, thing, people get uncomfortable and people may not say it with their words, but they say it with their actions. They say it with the way that they look at them. The, the presence, the atmosphere that they set is often not one of you're welcome here. It's you don't belong here, right? And the right. church, as you and I understand, and I think our theology is the same as Yancey, the church is supposed to be a hospital. It's supposed to be a spiritual hospital where people come in and yes, they're bloody. Yes, they are sick. Yes, they're in a position where they need help. They need counseling. They need our assistance. And to me, churches should be messy. We should be getting uh, you know, on the edge when it comes to who we're reaching and getting uncomfortable and putting ourselves in situations like you. I think that's why your example is such a good one because yes, most people in this uh, episode, listening to this episode, probably shouldn't go to a strip club. This episode is not advocating <laughs> that we all show up at a strip club. However, I think you have, been, you have been a great example in your husband and your church's focus as well. Um, when the Lord puts something on your heart, when you get a clear vision, an idea of a people group or a person get uncomfortable, get across the street, across the, you know, the neighborhood, across the city, across the world, put yourself in that situation and watch what God does, because that's right. the beauty. Now in hindsight, right, you can right. see how God used you in such an incredible way. Well, you, I mean, I'm reminded of, you know, the gay pride rallies that used to take, or still take place in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And I think Andy Stanley once said, you know, there was a church on one side of the street that was picketing the rally. Mm -hmm. And there was a church on the other side of the street that was handing out bottled water. Mm 
which church do you think most likely reached the people in that parade? That's good. Okay. Um, As my, one of my dancers, her name was Barbie. That's her, that's her stage name. Once said, Miss Erin, I'm so tired of Christians telling me how much God loves me when they don't. Isn't isn't that a Bible? Isn't that a Bible verse? Like, yeah, I'm I'm forgetting the scripture, but that's the idea is like, well, John, I mean, John 13, 35 says they will know you are my disciples by how well you love one another. Right. And the it love doesn't there, say, yeah. I mean, it doesn't say going to church. It doesn't say how much you give. It doesn't say how much Bible, you know, or how many Bible studies you've done or how much you've mm. sang in the choir. How well do you love the people around you? Yeah. And the context there and the, the word is a verb. And I think we often miss that mm-hmm. in our, in our Christian American culture, we think of love as a feeling. We think of love as this Hollywood, like, well, I love them. I feel that way towards them. But love in a scripture sense and what he's saying there in that passage is love is a verb. Love is doing something. You do something. You, you stop talking about loving and you show up and you hand them a, a home-cooked meal or you give them a Mary Kay uh, a gift. You, know, you, you show them they're valuable. You show up at their bedside when they're sick. Um, that's love when it comes to biblical love. And, and right. that's what I hear that you... Uh, you and your church does. What are some other examples you alluded to? And that's, again, the book. If you guys want to dive into that book, it's not all just the strip church. It really does no. get into the ministries and the different things. What are some other ways that your church has been outward focused? What are some other kind of examples of that that focus? Um, let's see. Some of our, uh, we like to go to gas stations and pay for people's gas. We call it a gas buy down hmm. or a pray at the pump where we just give away free gas. We go to laundromats where we fill all the machines with quarters and give everybody laundry detergent and then stay and help them fold all their laundry and play with the kids. Um, You know, we have a huge Easter bash every year where we bring all the inflatables. And of course, everything we've ever done as a church is totally free to the community. We don't even have fundraisers at our churches because we don't ever want to be asking our community for anything. We want to be a gift to our community to the point that if any of our churches close their doors tomorrow, the community would be sad. They would Mm. say, you know, that church over there, they're the ones that helped me with this, or they taught me this, or they changed. I was a single mother and they changed my oil and played with my kids. Um, We want our church to be a gift to this community. Yeah. Uh, because we are so intentional about showing God's love to the people in our communities, which Kurt, let's face it, whether you're in the South or you're in the North, East or West, our communities are mostly unchurched people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the only way we're going to reach them, let's face it, is going to be God's love. Yeah. It's, it's not going to be knocking on doors and, you know, do you have 10 minutes for us to share the gospel? Do you know where you're going to go if you die tonight? I'll tell you, you're right. going to burn in hell. <laughs> right. You know, that doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work, especially if, back to what you're saying, if they don't feel like you love them. That, that woman right. said Christians don't love them. It's like the, the idea to, to sell, for lack of better terms, to sell the idea that God loves someone and yet we don't love them, we don't actively engage in their life. Uh, to then bring a message like you're going to hell uh, falls completely flat. And I think more so, as you're saying, as our culture becomes more secular, the less and less people are showing up at churches, even on Easter and Christmas. It's just Mm. not a thing anymore in American culture. So I love the idea, and I've heard, you know, it's the idea of the church going to where people are are at. It's it's no longer asking them to come to us, but we bring the church to where they're at and let God work out a lot of that stuff. You know, a lot of the details that Christians get overly focused on, let God work out the details of their lifestyle and the sin and the struggles and the things you just love on them and mm. don't always attach a church invite, just love on them. And then they'll eventually want to know where's this coming from. So, right. Right. That's well, great, as Todd, it, Todd will often yeah. say you can drop the unchanging gospel that's been the gospel for 2000 years into 2020, into 
Detroit, Michigan, into Nashville, Tennessee, into Columbus, Mississippi, and let the culture wrap itself around that unchanging gospel, that is powerful because if we're not outward focused and presenting a culturally relevant message, what are we doing? Yeah. I mean, you know, people, you know, they want to, they want to hear more than the, the regular, you know, churchy terms. And well, people don't know what sanctification means. If you say I'm washed in the blood, people are going to freak out that don't know Jesus. Yeah, that's you know, it's time that we, <laughs> that we cut through a lot of the stuff yeah. and just get down to the basics and, yeah. Jesus, you know, I love you and Jesus loves you. You're valuable to God and you're valuable to me. Yeah. That, that's that's a powerful statement. And, and let's use that as a, as a segue to this idea. What, what is kind of, to use a church word, the theological basis? Like you, you and I are talking about a concept here. We're talking about a philosophy, if you will, of ministry. Mm. Um, where, where is that rooted in? Where do we get this idea that Christians should show up at strip clubs and pay for people's gas and, you know, help the homeless or, you know, getting into serving water at a pride parade? You know, what, what sort of foundation, where, where are you getting that from? Where is your church, you know, getting that foundational principle of this is what we should be doing as a church? You know, I mean, Jesus boiled it down to love God and love others. Mm. And we are intentional about both. And we really, I, mean, I go back to John 13, 35. That is probably our core, one of our core verses uh, between that and when Paul says, you know, I became all things to all people so that by all means I would save some. Yep. You know, was Paul a sellout? No, he wasn't a sellout. But when he was with Jewish people, he spoke like a Jew. When he was with Gentiles, he spoke like a Gentile. I mean, we need to be culturally relevant so that the people in this community, just like the missionaries in Africa, you know, when they went over there, they dressed like the Africans, they sang like the Africans, they, they did, you know, certain kind of uh, language, you know, didactic or, or whatever. You know, we need to let whatever the gospel, let the unchanging gospel become permanent, permeating in this culture and wrap it around it. Um, and I think that's what we hear it at Mount Vernon, all of our churches. We've become really, uh, what am I trying to say, uh, intentional about yeah. making sure we are known for how well we love. That's good. We want to be a church that serves well and loves well. Yeah, and I think of, you know, and that connects well with the the two scriptures that I thought of. We're, we're kind of staying in the book of John today, which is interesting, but, you know, again, people read the book of John, but I think of two passages in John 8, you know, the woman caught in adultery, right? Like mm. the first part of John 8, and you just see how Jesus loved her and how the religious people, the people in the community were ready to stone her to death. Like she was brought out in front of them. I think of this as, as a woman you may have seen in the strip club. Like she lived that kind of lifestyle, a very sexually promiscuous kind of lifestyle. And she was brought before Jesus and, and how Jesus responds says everything about how our philosophy, because if, if we read scripture, Paul says it, Jesus says it, the church is supposed to be Jesus. The church is supposed to be the embodiment, the body of Christ on the earth. So we should follow his lead and do the things that Jesus did. So what does he do when a woman is caught in the act of adultery? Does he pick up a stone? Does he get in a position of judgment towards her? No, he simply says, go and leave your life of sin. Neither do I condemn you. You know, that yeah. is so powerful. And then I think of John chapter four, um, the woman at the well, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus rarely showed the fact or revealed the fact to humans when he was here on earth, three years in his ministry. He never, he rarely, he, he did, but he rarely revealed his divinity. But for some reason, he's hanging out with a woman in the heat of the day, the middle of the day where you would not go to a well. You don't go in the heat of the day. You go in the morning, the evening when it's cold, colder, cooler. That's when the community would be there. But this woman is there in the heat of the day. Why? Because she had a reputation, which Jesus acknowledged, right? You have four husbands, right. you have a past, you have, again, a sexually promiscuous lifestyle. How do we see Jesus respond to her? He reveals his divinity. 
He talks right. about him being the Messiah to her. He's not revealing it to the religious guy set up in the temple. He's talking to a woman at a well, which even again, culturally, if you look into Jews, you're not, you're not supposed to do that. Women don't talk with men who aren't their husbands. Like there's right. so many dynamics right. that Jesus was uh, rocking. He was revolutionary <laughs> in the way that he got there. But the heart of it is what you just said. It's because he loved her. Like it was his love for these two women that he got into these positions and loved on them. And I think the final thing that I just want to say, and then you can, you can share your thoughts, but um, Jesus had a reputation. You've heard it before. I think it's in Matthew of being a friend of sinners, right? That was the, the Pharisees said he was a friend of sinners. And what you shared earlier, you became these women's friends. They were your Mm. friends. And I think that's, that's so profound that it's, I don't want people to miss it, that you, you didn't do this as like some do-gooder Christian who was like, you know, Mm -hmm. getting a a badge on your Christian vest, right? Mm -hmm. You genuinely love them and you got to know them and you became their friends. You hung out with them. You actually knew them. You went to their parties. You went to their, uh, Mm -hmm. the birth of their baby. You were in their life. They mattered to you just like I mattered to you, just like your kids matter to you. You were friends with them. And that's a picture, right, of why Jesus was accused of being friends with sinners. Because guess what? He was. He was friends with sinners. (laughs) That's the irony. He was friends with them. He loved them. Yeah. So I'm kind of yeah. preaching now, but do you do you have any more to say about the theological or the the philosophy of ministry there? No, but I do think it's hilarious that you chose those two Bible stories, because mm-hmm. when I go do I, I do some women's retreats, you know, speaking, um, and I usually do a three part, and those were two of my three parts that I always talk about. Nice. Are <laughs> the woman caught in adultery and the woman at the well are two of my very favorite stories. And you're right. I mean. I would go to these women's children's birthday parties. They're Mm. still all my friends on Facebook. In fact, if anybody ever saw my personal Facebook page, (laughs) they get quite an eyeful because um, I'm friends with a lot of strippers and I I love them dearly. I love them. I, I can't, you know, probably at my age, being almost 50 years old, you know, they could almost be my granddaughters by now. Mm. Um, But I I love them uh, with, with so much just, just, I just, um, well, I, I just an unconditional love, whether they ever change or not, you know, yeah. and, and some would come to me in the club and say, you know, I'm not ready for this. I'm not, I'm not going to come to your church. I'm not going to mm. do this or that. And I would say, it's okay. It doesn't affect the way I think about you or love you one bit. Yeah. And that, okay. that makes me think of a pastor recently who said love with an agenda isn't love. It's manipulation. Yeah. And I that's think right. that's, that's what the church is often doing. We never say it that way, but the church is loving with conditions, with an agenda. It's like only mm-hmm. if they come to church, only if they sign up for this men's retreat, only if they change this addiction, we put them on a timeline. You know, if he stops right. looking at porn, if he stops drinking, if he stops doing what fill in the blank, living that lifestyle, then, right. then he can enter our club and we'll love him. Like that's implicitly mm. what they're saying. And it's really tragic because people more so than ever smell an agenda and they don't want anything to do with Christian agenda. They don't because it's not love. It's not what Jesus did. He didn't put, uh, you know, an agenda on them. Did he, did he have an overarching agenda to save their souls and to care for them? Absolutely. But when he loved them, when he did miracles, when he got his hands dirty in their lives, it was just like you did. It's, I love you. I love being a part of your life. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Kurt, I I wasn't going to bring this up in this podcast, but, you know, I mentioned that my oldest son, Elijah, is dating a Japanese exchange student and Mm. she does not know the Lord. I mean, no ifs, ands or buts about it. She comes from a culture that has no God framework whatsoever. Yeah, Japanese so, culture, it's like, I think the numbers are like less than 1% are Christian. Yeah. It's very Okay, young. so here this little boy that's now 20 years old has been raised in church all of his life, has chosen a very serious partner. I mean, he may marry her. It mm. wouldn't surprise me. And she does not know Jesus. And so what you're saying about an agenda, she's at my house every weekend. And you know what I do? We make cookies. 
and I hug on her and I love on her and we we play games and we are loving her as a family now as with no agenda now do we want her to come to know Jesus of course we do because she's mm -hmm. going back to Japan and at the end of the year and we mm -hmm. want her to know Jesus but I told Todd the other night we were laying in bed and I said you know what if Risa comes to know Jesus it's because we we have shown her his love through how we are just loving her as she is where she is. Right. You know, and that it's powerful, Kurt. I mean, Elijah said she's already asking questions about church and about God just based on how we're loving her. And yeah. we haven't mentioned him at all to her. Yeah. And the, it's powerful. the cool thing, it's powerful. And the other thing that you're doing, which you haven't said, but I think you'd agree, you're trusting the Holy Spirit. You're, yes. you're not doing the heavy lifting. Christians often feel like we have to do that heavy lifting. We have to answer every question. We have to step in with the words. We can't, you know, let it go unsaid. And it's like mm. Jesus said, love them. Love them. That's right. And then the Holy Spirit will be working with the prompting her to ask questions, creating divine moments. And I often find in my my experience in student ministry and in my family and my friends is there will come a time, there will come a moment where through mm -hmm. circumstances or through the Spirit's prompting that then they will be open to uh, asking you questions or showing up at church. And then it's not again, because of an agenda, like I've got to do this because Kurt's going to be pleased with me. It's right. We're just two friends going to church at that point. Like we're right. two people who love each other and like, no, you know, no big deal. There's no pressure. And I just feel like that's where the church often gets it wrong is they put so much pressure on people to, again, get their lives in order. I, I said it, I was going to say it at the start, but I didn't mention it as, you know, someone else said that Jesus himself probably wouldn't be welcome at a lot of churches. <laughs> and I think that yeah. that's sad, but so true is Jesus himself would probably be sitting on the front porch of many churches because he just wouldn't fit into their cookie cutter, you know, uh, world, their country club. He wouldn't fit into their chic, secret handshakes and all their little um, mm. exclusionary sort of things. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and really, if I could boil down our ministry to two things would be meeting needs and doing acts of kindness, which are two things Jesus did so well. Hmm. He met needs and he did acts of kindness. His ministry was totally show and tell. Just yeah. like when we're in elementary school and we take in our favorite teddy bear. Yeah. You know, I think churches today are all about tell, tell, tell. Yeah. Well, guess what? This world needs some show, show, show. That's good. Yeah. Okay. We've got to meet needs and do acts of kindness. Because yeah. that's really how people today are really touched. 100%. Yeah. Well, that's good. Aaron, I've really enjoyed our discussion today, and I think our audience will uh, as well. And just as we kind of wrap things up, I'll give you a final word in a second if you want to share anything else. Um, but I just want to say again to those of you listening, I hope today's conversation inspired you to pick up the book. There is obviously so much more in there. You can learn about her and her husband and just what the churches are doing, but more so than anything, uh, you can be motivated and this book can be used to uh, move you to do the very thing that she just said about loving people, showing and telling uh, God's love. And so if you want to get entered into that uh, little giveaway for the free book sent to you, just give us a text uh, and we will get that book out to one of our listeners. And if you want to buy it from Amazon, feel free to do that. But Aaron, I am, again, I want you, I think you're going to be another, we're going to have another talk someday where I'd love for you to come <laughs> back and chat about something else. I also want to get your husband Todd on here. He is such a stud and, and on Facebook, <laughs> he's a fan of the, the podcast and we've already had a discussion on there about getting him on here. So um, thanks for making the time today again in Easter weekend. Anything final you just want to say to uh, the people listening? I, I would just say that if, if God prompts your heart to do an act of kindness or meet a need, listen to the Holy Spirit's prompting on that because mm. I cannot, um, something that may be as small as paying for somebody's cup of coffee or, um, you know, helping someone return a grocery card at the grocery store when we're done social distancing, <laughs> mm. you know, the littlest things can speak 
volumes. And often by meeting needs and acts of kindness, we are so, um, the spirit can work with that and open a door that we could have never pushed open on our own. Yeah. No, it's so true. And and I just experienced it even today. You know, it's just, it's about humanizing people, right? It's about mm, being yes. kind to people in an unkind world. Everybody today, especially in this season of stress and uncertainty, we're all stressed out. We're all below the waterline. And to just have a smile or a friendly phrase or a comment, a wave as you're passing in a car, all of those things collectively add up to really making the world a better place, but more so than anything as Christians, it makes us a vessel uh, that God uses. We literally become a vehicle that God is going to show up in people's lives. And that's ultimately what Easter's all about, to put a period on the end of the sentence, you know, mm. Jesus is alive, he's still at work, even in the midst of such dark circumstances. And so I just want to say thank you. It may seem odd, you know, kind of friend to friend, but I just want to thank you, Aaron, for your heart. I want to thank you that you followed the Holy Spirit's prompting many, many years ago and started that ministry. I want to thank you that not only you started it, but you continue that messy work at your church, mm -hmm. in your community, in your family, your home, as you've shared. I just want to thank you for being that. You're a great model and example for women and men uh, that call themselves Christians. So thanks for the work that you're doing. Oh, thanks, Kurt. I sure appreciate you asking me to be on here. Yep. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. Is there any social media that um, I always tell my guests, you know, do you have like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram? Do you want anybody to, if they want to kind of interact with you more, do you have any that you want to share? We can put it in the show notes as well, but do you have any following there? Yeah, I, I would say, our mtvchurch.com is really good okay uh, if yeah. they want to hear todd he's I, I don't have a i don't have a personal website um no but yeah mtv church would be good that's people will remember that we'll put that link <laughs> in the in the in the show notes but yeah mtv church is hard to miss and yeah they do video uh live streaming there so check out one of todd's uh todd's talks and uh cool yeah. well thanks again for your time this is all right great. thank you so much and thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoy this and all of our episodes on the Cultured Christian Podcast. Please join the conversation on our Reddit. Also, like and share us on our Facebook page. Lastly, if you have feedback or topic ideas, email them at culturedchristians at gmail.com or share them via text or voicemail at 810-207-5717. And as I mentioned earlier, if you want to get into the drawing for Aaron's book, all you have to do is text your name 810-207-5717 by April 30th, and we'll let you know if you're the winner. And we'll see you in the next one.